You, uh, you guys are awesome. This is, this is fun. Um, okay, hey, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to dive right in tonight. So grab your Bible. Let me see it high up in the air. Let me see it. Let me see it. Okay? Let me see it. Every, every Bible in the house. Okay, hey, tonight, as awesome, as awesome as these stories are that we get to see played out in Dogtopia, I hope you're tracking this week that when you see different characters and you see different moments and you see different stories that you go, ah, I know where this is coming from. And I know Hume's hope and your teachers or your counselors, their hope, their dream is that you would go home and that you would dive into this story. And remember, we talked about this. this, this book, 66 books written by 40 different authors over a span of 2,000 years on three different continents in three different languages tells one incredible story. And y'all are fun, right? Like in worship, as these dramas play out, and my hope and my dream would be that you would open up God's word and you would dive into this story with the same excitement, with the same passion as you watch this thing get played out in Dogtopia. Friends, Every story that we've seen this week is rooted and grounded in God's word. And so we're going to dive in today, and as we've talked about the greatest story that's ever been told, that's hardly ever told in its entirety, Genesis to Revelation is pointing to what we're about to talk about tonight. So John chapter 13. Go ahead and turn there, and we're going to dive in in just a second. Hey, I love that the last song that we sang um, was about love. Right? Uh, the, the song just says, man, God, oh, how he loves us, how he loves us so. And it's really easy, friends, if you're anything like me, it's really easy if you've been around church before and if you've heard that song before to sit here or stand here and sing those words and go, yeah, for sure, God loves me. Uh-huh, cool, two thumbs up. But we can kind of start to take that for granted, right? Hey, um, can I let you guys in on a little embarrassing secret? It's, uh, it's decently embarrassing for me, okay? Um, I, I'm a pretty big Taylor Swift fan. I know, I know. So here's, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. Uh, my, my wife, Paige, she's an even bigger Taylor Swift fan. And so, I know, I know. So, like, I, I kind of get to play undercover a little bit. Like, we're going to her, her concert in August, and um, it's, like, the Eras tour or whatever. And, and it's, like, I get to kind of go under the cover of, like, yeah, I'm just being a good husband, you know. Like, I'm just trying to. But, like, truth be told, this isn't my first Taylor Swift concert, okay. Like, I'm a, I'm a big fan. And so, but here's the thing about love, right. Like, I, I love Taylor's songs, right. Like, I've watched the documentary on how, like, folklore was filmed, right. Like, I, I'm a decently large Taylor Swift fan. Like, I, I like her music. And, uh, but here's, here's the thing. Like, I could stand here with you and I could go like, oh my gosh, I love Taylor Swift. And a lot of you could go, me too, right? And some of you are like, boo, right? But whatever, okay? Just once you grow up, come back to me. You'll, you'll come back and be like, okay, I kind of like her too, right? So well, I could love Taylor Swift, but here's the thing. Like, I'm going to her concert in August, and let's just say, let's just say, I somehow get like a backstage pass, and I go, and it's like Paige and I, it's my, you know, my wife, and we get to go backstage, and we walk over, and we see Taylor's dressing room, and we're like, 
garage. Like, this is where it's at. Like, this, she's getting ready back there. And we knock on the door, and she comes out, and she's like, hey. And we're like, Taylor, right? Like, she's right there. And my, my, Paige and I were standing there, and we're like, Taylor, we love you. What's going to happen in this moment? She's going to be like, um, right? Yeah, security. Like, I, I don't know you. Like, who are you? Like, she's going to be like, security. And like, no, 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 Taylor, you don't get it. Like, we love you. We loved, like, your early songs. We're like, when you think Tim McGraw, right? Like, we're like, we could sing your old stuff. Like, we love you, Taylor. And she's like, ah, I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. And we're like, but we know all these things about you. And she's like, this is creepy, right? Like, this is just kind of weird. Right? One of my favorite theologians, his name's Timothy Keller, and he writes this in a, in a book uh, called Meaning of Marriage. He says this, and it's one of my favorite quotes. He says, to be loved but not known is superficial, right? Like if somebody walks up to you and they don't know you, and they're like, oh, hi, I love you. You're like, thanks, I think. Like that's... I don't know what to say to this. Like, that's kind of weird. But, but here's the flip side of that, right? So to be loved but not known is superficial at best. But Tim Keller goes on to say to be known, to be fully known and not loved is our greatest fear. Right, friend? Like, this is why we don't put ourselves out there. This is why we wear masks, this is why we fake it. This is why when you're having a really bad day and, and, and you walk up to somebody and they're like, how are you? You're like, good. Right? Like we don't want to be fully known because there's a part of us, if we're being honest, that thinks if I'm fully known, there's gonna be a part of me that's rejected. See, every single one of us in this room, right, whether you've been tracking all week or you're kind of like, eh, this whole chapel thing, it's whatever, Right? Every one of us in this room has a deep, deep desire to be known and accepted. So to be loved but not known is superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. And then Keller says this. He says to be fully known and fully loved is a lot like being loved by God. And tonight, friend, if you hear nothing else, Tonight, I just want you to hear, I want to double down on what Isaac said up here on stage, that it is the coolest thing that you sitting here tonight are loved by the God that we've been talking about all week. Right? In John 1, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Right? We studied night one that this Jesus character, that he, he preceded time, that he himself was the author and creator of life. He's the source of truth, that he's equal with God. And that God who gave us scripture, who revealed himself through the person of Jesus, that God loves you. And I, and I don't want you to miss this, okay? So I, I want every eye in the room just on me really quick, okay? Really quick. I, I know you might be like setting up your notes for the night or turning in your Bible, but just for a second, I just want every eye in the room on me. I don't want you to miss this. Because if you're anything like me, uh, four, 16 years ago now, yikes, that's a scary number, okay? If you're anything like me when I was in junior high, it's easy to hear that all the time. To go to a Christian school, to come to camps like this, and, like a, and somebody, or maybe you go to youth group and your pastor's like, hey, God loves you. And you're like, cool. 
But friend, don't miss how powerful this is, that there is a God that knows everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? The, the, the things that you don't dare tell anyone. That God looks at you and says, I know everything about you, and I love you, and I'm here for you, and let me show you the length that I'm willing to go to demonstrate that. Right? I, I genuinely hope that each and every one of you someday, way down the road, gets to have a kid, because here's why. Every parent in the room can attest to this. Right? The first time that I held my Piper girl, and when I got to hold Phoebe three weeks ago, three weeks ago, like literally right now, homegirl was born at 8.06 p.m. So in like 20 minutes or so, 21 minutes, my daughter uh, Phoebe was born. Yeah, it was the coolest thing ever, right? And when I got to hold, every parent in the room will attest this, when I got to hold that little girl, y'all, with tears flowing down my face, I'm standing in that moment holding my little girl just going, there is absolutely nothing, there is nothing either one of my little girls could ever do to make me love them more or make me love them less. Nothing. Those are my daughters. Those are my girls. And there is nothing either of them could do that would ever make me go, hmm, love you a little bit less now. Nothing. And there's nothing, friend, there's nothing that either one of them could ever do that would go, whoa, now I love you. And, and here's, the, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. My love for my girls, it's, it's, like a, it's like the tiniest little drop in the bucket to the Niagara Falls that is the God of the universe's love for you. Do you get that? Right? Like if I took one of these, if I took this water bottle and I just like, bloop, like the tiniest little drop... That's my love for my daughters. And then if you went and stood at Niagara Falls and the thousands and thousands and thousands of gallons of water that just flood over the falls every second, that, even that is like a fraction of the love that the God of the universe has for you. And you and I can sit here and we can go, mm-hmm, cool, neat. And whether you're sitting here tonight and you've heard this, and you maybe you even desire to follow Jesus, and you're sitting here, and you want to learn this week, and you want to dive in more this week, or maybe you're sitting here tonight, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired. When's chapel over? And you're kind of like messing with your homie sitting next to you. Friend, wherever you are on that spectrum, I just want to ask that for the next like 15 to 20 minutes, that you double down on your commitment to me, and that you would just lean in. Can we do that? Yes? Okay, cool. Uh, I got to take my daughter to uh, Disneyland in December, okay? It was the coolest thing ever. I, uh, a part of being a pastor, I officiate weddings, and I love it. I love officiating weddings. It's super fun. I get to meet a lot of really interesting people, and I was officiating this wedding in November, and I got to meet the bride and meet the groom, and we were doing some premarital counseling, and we were having conversation, and I was like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm a photographer at Disneyland. And I tried to play it cool, right? Like when I heard that, I was like, oh, cool, 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 neat, 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 neat. But I had this like childish grin on my face because homeboy loves Disneyland, okay? Like I love going in Disneyland. I had a pass when I was at Biola. Like I would literally go study for tests at Disneyland. Like I just love it. I love Disney. And I've been dying to take Piper to Disneyland because taking her at this age to go and see like Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and she like talks about the characters all the time. So when I found out that she works at Disneyland. I was like, oh, cool, 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 cool. And she's like, I could get you in sometime. And I was like, 
oh, I mean, if you want, yes, please, right? Like, it was like instantly like, yes, please. So she hooked it up and she got us tickets and we got to go in December and it was the coolest thing. But I want you to just imagine, how many of you have been to Disneyland before? Holy buckets. Okay, that's amazing. Okay, so I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine just for a second, okay, that I take Piper to Disneyland for the first time and we get our tickets and we show up at like 8 a.m. right when it opens and I want you to imagine with me that I take her to Disneyland and I just go, okay, pipes, ready? And she's like, yes. She's got her like Minnie Mouse dress on and like the Minnie Mouse like glow stick and the bubbles and all the things that we ordered on Amazon because it's cheaper, okay? And we're just like, we go to Disneyland and I want you to just imagine, I want you to just imagine that we get our tickets and we're like, beep. And they're like, welcome to Disneyland, happiest place on earth. And I'm like, oh, this is it. And we go in, and right when you walk into Disneyland, right, you see the flowers that's like the Mickey Mouse head. And it's like right there ahead of you. And we go and we sit down and we just, we just sit on the bench right there, right inside the gates. And we're like, this is it. And Piper's like, Disneyland. It's magical. And I'm like, yep, Pipes. We're in Disneyland, and there's a little monorail train, right? And it goes overhead, and I'm like, oh, Piper, look, a choo-choo. Look at this train, right? And she's like, oh, choo-choo. She sees the train go overhead, and she's like, Disneyland. And I'm like, I know, right? Isn't it great? And we just sit down. We just sit down at a bench right there, and we're like, Disneyland. This is it. And an hour goes by, and the monorail goes by a few more times. I'm like, oh, Piper, look, look, look at the monorail. And she's like, oh, yeah, choo-choo. We sit, and we're like, oh, do you see Mickey's head right there? And she's like, yeah, yeah, I see Mickey's head. We're like, man, Disneyland. This is it. And we just spend the whole day right there, just right inside the gates. We're just the whole day, and it's like the Mickey Mouse and the monorail. And Piper gets a little restless, but it's okay, right? We brought some snacks, and she's eating a few snacks. And we're like, Disneyland, this is it. We're inside the gates. We're there. Like Disneyland. And we go home and, and you follow up with me. Right at that point, like we, we spent a week at Hume together, so you follow up with me and you're like, hey, Austin, how is Disneyland? And you go up to Piper and you're like, how is Disneyland? And she's like, eh, it's all right. And you're like, oh, what characters did you see? Oh, we didn't, we didn't see any of the characters. Huh? You didn't see, you didn't see any of the characters? Disneyland? What? Oh, but like, what? What? What rides did you go on? Oh, we actually, we didn't, we didn't end up going on in the rides. Huh? You were at Disneyland. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. We punched our tickets. We were in. We were at Disneyland. So, like, like did you get the corn dog on Main Street? Did you get some ice cream? Hot chocolate? You went to, you saw the world of color, right? Like the, the, the water in the sky and they project onto it? No. You wrote toast, Toy Story at least, right? Like you, you shot and you got your number. Like what was your high score? Oh, no, no, we didn't, we didn't go in Toy Story either. But you were at Disneyland. Uh-huh. Yeah, we were there. We, we punched our ticket. At this point, you're confused. You're like, what, why would anyone do that? Why would you go to Disneyland and not experience Disneyland? And yet, friend... Can I just be super honest with you? I think this is what you and I do all the time. All the time. See, this week, 
We've been talking about this story. We've been walking through the greatest story ever told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. And I can tell you that there's a God and he preceded time and that when sin entered into the world because of four words, did God really say? And Adam and Eve doubted that God is good and they didn't trust him anymore. So they doubted who he is and they doubted what he said and sin entered into the world. Any thought, word, action, or attitude that goes against God's design for our life, our deepest unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is our deepest happiness and so he sends Jesus and he gives us his word and you and I have a sin problem and we can hear the gospel message that we're going to talk about tonight and some of you are sitting in this room going I've heard it before I've read the Bible I've gone to church I've done it but can I just be honest with you I think a lot of us in this room You've heard it before, and maybe you would go, if I told you, hey, do you know that God loves you? You're like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I'd go, do you love God? Are you a follower of Jesus? And you go, "Mm mm-hmm. And this is where I would pause and ask you, hey, how's your daily life and life-abundant walk with Jesus going? Or are you kind of like me when I was your age, where I went, Christianity's kind of boring, but I want to go to heaven. And if the options are heaven or hell, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And so I guess I'll take this boring life. And friend, you are like the person that goes to Disneyland, punches their ticket, and then sits down on a bench just inside and goes, I guess this is Disneyland. I guess this is Christianity. And I just want to dive into God's word here and go, if there is a God who loves you, He knows everything about you and loves you. The life that he desires for you is the greatest life you could possibly imagine. Now notice, I'm not going to say it's the easiest life that you could possibly imagine. I'm not going to say you're promised a full bank account or no sickness or, or no disruptions in your relationships around you. But it is the absolute best life. It's life and life abundant. It's life designed by the creator himself. And so I want to dive into this story, and I want to talk with you tonight about how do we get this life and life abundant. Okay, so John chapter 13, let me just give you a little bit of flyby to catch you up with what's going on in this story. And in John chapter 13, we're going to see the picture of Jesus and why he has come. And in John chapter 13, I love this passage where the God of the universe, right, John, remember how I said John writes different? Right, remember this? Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, Mark's like your bang, bang gospel, immediately this, immediately that. Luke's your doctor, right? And he's like, yes, dear Theophilus, right? Like, let me give you all the details of what happened in the life of Jesus. And you're like, all right, Luke, right? And then John comes in, and he's like, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're like, huh? What are you talking about? He's like, stay with me. This is going to get good. Hey, John chapter 1 through 12, he just tells all these different stories about Jesus. And then he pauses. And in John chapter 13, he's going to take the next four or five chapters and dive into one night of Jesus' life. And he goes, if we could just take a deep dive and a look at the last night that Jesus was on earth, we might understand more about what this life is all about. And in John chapter 13, uh, maybe you know this story, maybe you don't, but Jesus, remember, who is, who? Who's Jesus? God. What did Jesus do in the beginning? In the beginning, God created, who was that? Who did that? Who created? God, who is? 
Jesus. So the author and creator of life itself is about to get up from the dinner table, wrap a towel around his waist, bend down on a knee, and wash his disciples' feet. And if you think feet are gross in 2023, like if you're with me there, I promise you, in first century Judaism, in this culture, in this moment where there isn't, like the streets are not like our streets, the sewage is not like our sewage, their, their feet were infinitely more gross than ours. And it was the lowest of the lowest of the low jobs of a servant to wash people's feet before they sat down at dinner. And Jesus gets up from the dinner table. He wraps a towel around his waist and he goes around and he demonstrates what love looks like to each and every one of his disciples. He demonstrates what service looks like to every single one of his disciples. And then he says this in John chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus replies, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Hey, pause right there and look up at me. This is a significant statement. Jesus goes and he washes his disciples' feet and he has this conversation with one of the disciples named Peter. And he looks at them and he goes, hey, you don't get this yet. You don't fully understand what's going down yet, but you will. Okay, now turn over to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 1 says this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in who? God, okay? Now, again, pause and look up at me real quick. We've been talking about this all week, but for John, the author of this, Buddy, right, our character that's been running around here, that word believe has an equal sign with what word? Weak sauce. I need the whole chapel here, okay? That word believe, that word believe has an equal sign with the word trust, trust okay? Because here's the crazy thing. In 2023, you and I can believe something to be true, but it doesn't change our life. For John, belief had everything to do with life change, right? I don't care how many times you tell me Taco Bell is bad for me. I believe you. I believe that it's not good for me. And yet, you know what your boy still eats all the time? Taco Bell, right? I love it. I feel horrible afterwards, and the next day is worse. I can believe something to be true, but it doesn't change my life. I believe that reading, like, American literature, like, to dive into, like, a nice, meaty book is better for me than binge-watching The Office. And yet, do you know what I do over and over and over again? I binge watch shows all the time and I go, ah, I probably should be reading right now. I believe that that's a better thing for me because in our day and age, you can believe something and it not impact your life. And yet when John was writing, he was saying you believe in God, which means so much more than just a recognition up here that he is real. It had everything to do with trust. And so Jesus is talking here to his guys and he says, you believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come back and I will take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. And I love this moment right here. Thomas, one of his disciples, he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. 
If you really know me, you will know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been with you such a long time, anyone that has seen the father, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? Don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me? Okay, don't, don't miss this aspect of this conversation that's going on. Okay, y'all ever been sitting in a class before and the teacher says something along the lines of, like, they're teaching some, like, complex, uh, like, history lesson or math lesson or something like that, and they're, like, on the whiteboard doing their thing and they turn back to you and they're like, does that make sense? Any questions? And you're confused as all get out. But the whole class, when he says any questions, what does the whole class do? Nope. We're good. Right? And he's like, does that make sense? And you're like, uh-huh. Yep. Here's what I love about Jesus. Jesus is sitting with his guys. He's washing their feet, and he goes, you don't quite understand this yet. And Peter speaks up, and he goes, uh-huh. You're right, I don't understand this yet. And they have this conversation. And then Jesus starts talking about where he's going. And he starts talking about how to get there. And I love that Thomas pushes back and he's like, he's looking at the other disciples like, you want me to say it? Okay, I'll say it. We don't know where you're going. And Jesus is like, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And then Philip's like, just show us God. That'll be enough for us. I love that Jesus sitting with his guys after three years together and they're still trying to figure it out. Do you remember Peter's response in John chapter six when Jesus turns to him and he goes, what about you guys? Do you want to leave too? And Peter's like, look, man, we don't totally get it, but you have the words of life, eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And even here on Jesus's last night, we see the disciples going, I'm wrestling with this. I don't fully understand it. I can't quite wrap my head around it. And yet Jesus Jesus' response isn't this. It's not, ugh, three years, guys, really, really. Can, like, if I'm being totally honest with you, that's my response. If I've been doing life with these guys for, tw- like, three years, and there's only 12 of them, and I've been like, I'm God, and they're like, huh? You're like, all right, blind dude, you can see. And they're like, huh, Wow. And then he's like walking on water. He's feeding 5,000 people. He's washing their feet. He's demonstrating to them. He's like, hey, look, I didn't come to be served. And they're like, but you're our master. And he's like, I know. I'm not like any other master. I came to serve, not to be served. And they're like, yeah, but which one of us is greatest? And he's like, okay, you still don't get it. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, how do you not get this? I've been telling you the same thing over and 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 over over again. But I love Jesus' response here. His closest guys, his confidants, they still don't get it. And they ask questions and he's here for it. He leans in relationally and there's this just baby step by baby step by baby step walk with him. And Hume Can I be totally honest with you? Right now, in this moment, here's what I wish we could do. I wish we could just pause. And I wish we could just, like, take this table, and I would get a couple of uh, chairs out, and I would just sit down here, and I would go, okay, do you want the water or the water? Sorry, I'm boring. 
okay? One of them sparkly. That's fun, right? And then we would, you, we would just sit down. This is what I wish we could do. We would just sit down, just me and you. And we would, we would remove the rest of the crowd, and I wish that you and I, just one-on-one, that we could just go and we could, just, we could stand around this table, and you and I could just have a one-on-one conversation. And in this conversation, I, I think this conversation would go something like this. Just you and me. Sit down and go, hey, how's your week going? You'd be like, oh, this is so awesome, man. It's been fun being up here. I've had my moments where I miss home, but for the most part, like, it's just been great being up here. I go, okay, talk to me about chapel. What have you been learning? And maybe you'd be sitting here and you go, okay, I've been tracking, I've been taking notes, and I understand that, that Jesus, throughout the book of John, he's kind of on trial, and, and he's inviting us into this life, and, and there's, you know, he's given us the Bible, and he's given us himself to demonstrate what life looks like. And, but I, and I realized, I remember this morning, we were talking about the sin problem. And that every single one of us has these thoughts, these words, these actions, these attitudes that go against God's design. And I, I, I readily recognize Austin. I'm, I'm one of those sinners. And maybe in this moment, you and I would sit here and we go, okay, but you would go, now what? Like, where do I go from here? What do I do with this? And this is where I just wish you and I, we could just sit here and we would open up my Bible and I'd just say, hey, just for the sake of time, like, let's just, let's dive into my Bible and we'll flip through this and we'll have this conversation. And I would turn with you with this now what question of mine, I would turn with you to Romans chapter one. And we would just flip over and I would read to you Romans chapter one, verse 20, that essentially says that there's a God. And, And this God has made himself known. So that every single one of us, we can look around, and as we drive up to a place like Hume, we can see trees and mountains, and we can go, whoa, somebody made this. Intelligent creation says that there's an intelligent creator. Right? Like, if you and I were sitting here, and I would say, okay, hey, friend, like, if we were walking in the woods, and we just stumbled upon a cabin, and we just went, man, that must have been some storm that these trees just fell in the perfect place, and this cabin popped up. No, we'd go, what? No. When you see a cabin, you ask the question, who built this? Who made this? Intelligent design says that there's an intelligent designer. Romans chapter 1 says there is a God. And you'd go, okay, Austin, I get that. And we would sit here and I would go, okay, now Romans chapter 3, and we would flip over a little bit. I'd say Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that there is no one good. Or sorry, Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says that there's no one good, not even one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And you go, okay, I get that. So let me just make this clear. There's a God, and he is perfect. He is author. He is creator of life. And then there's us. And we are sinful. Yeah, that's right. Remember Piper? And you'd be like, oh, I remember Piper. The 100 blocks, mine, sinful. I'm a little bit older than Piper, but honestly, I'm still the same way. I still have selfishness. I still have pride. I have these thoughts that don't honor God. Like, I am sinful. I'd be like, okay, good. And then we would, we would flip over to Romans chapter 6, 23. That would say, the, the wages of that sin is death. That sin has a consequence. Right? And you'd go, oh, sibling to sibling, slap. And I'd be like, yeah, exactly. Right? Remember? teacher, policeman, like that when you sin, 
against an all-holy, almighty God, that there is a consequence. And there's a consequence to cosmic treason. And Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, the wages, the way that sin pays is in death. And you might look at me and go, wait, Austin, doesn't everybody die? And I'd go, yes. But this isn't talking about a physical death. This is talking about eternal separation from that holy, perfect God. And you would might look at me at this point and go, Austin, I thought you said good news. And I'd go, just wait. In order for there to be good news, like we have to start with a reality check and understand the bad news that there is a God and that we are sinful and that there's a natural separation between us and that God. And then you and I, we would flip over to Romans chapter 5, verse 8, that says this. It says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, puts it this way. It says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you get that? And we would sit here and we would kind of break that down. I would say, God made him who knew no sin, Jesus. You go, ah, okay. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life that you and I couldn't live. You go, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So when Jesus died on the cross, he's taking his sin upon us. That's right. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Well, why did Jesus have to die? Because sin pays in death. Oh, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. So God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Righteousness, big churchy word. Just means right with God. Oh, okay, that makes sense. So the opposite of right with God is wrong with God. And when we're in our sin, sin pays in death, which means we're wrong with God. So Jesus died so that we might become right with him through Jesus. Go, okay, I, I, I get that. I understand that. But so what do I do now? And that's where we would turn to one final place. And I would turn with you to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And we would just read this together. We would read in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 10, that says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you go, okay, what does that mean? Well, here's what it means very simply, right? Like this isn't a moment where you, you invite Jesus into your heart. This isn't a moment where you accept Jesus. This is a moment where you surrender to Jesus. There's a big difference. See, Jesus, remember we talked about this a couple nights ago where you can either disregard Jesus, downplay Jesus, or become a disciple of Jesus. And sometimes we downplay Jesus and make him our cute little lunchable Jesus. And Romans chapter 10 says we actually, our call is to bow a knee and say, I give you the steering wheel of my life. So Romans 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you trust him, that you put your hope in him, that he calls the shots, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, Hume, don't miss this. Here's the best part of the story. Jesus didn't stay dead on the cross. 
And we saw this play out in the drama tonight, but after three days, Jesus dies on the cross to pay the penalty of sin. See, sin pays in one way, and it's death, and all sin must be paid for, either by you or by Jesus. But three days later, he'll resurrect, he'll rise from the dead to prove that he can make dead things alive. And you and I, without Jesus, we are dead things. So when Jesus proves that he has power even over death, he says, I invite you to allow me to pay the penalty of sin. And what it costs you is your entire life. You surrender to me. Call me Lord. Believe in your heart that you can put your hope and trust in me for your eternal salvation. And if you and I were sitting here, if you and I were sitting here, here's what I would just ask. I would sit here and ask you the question, hey, what's standing right now? What's stopping you? from just surrendering your life to Jesus, to say, God, I I give you my life. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live and died the death that I deserve to die so that you, so that I could live the life that you deserve to live. It's the greatest exchange of all time. And if you and I were sitting here, I would ask you, hey, what's, what's stopping you? And here's where, Hume, I just want to invite you. I'm going to say a prayer right now, and I just want to invite you to pray something like this with me. But let me make something crystal clear. There's no magic words strung together that save you, okay? Jesus saves. Jesus and Jesus alone. So there's no, like, magical prayer that I'm going to walk you through that if you say the words in the right order, or if, like, when I'm praying You don't pray the exact words. You don't have to be like, God dang it. Right? Jesus saves. When he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. And what he meant by that is that sin has been paid for once and for all. And there's an open invitation for the greatest exchange of all time, your sin for his life. But it's going to cost you your life. Surrendered to him for the rest of your days going, Jesus, you are Lord, you're in charge. So right now, Hume, if you want to give your life to Jesus and surrender to him and say, I put my hope and trust in you and you alone, Jesus, if you want to do that right now, would you just bow your head with me right now and pray something like this? God, I thank you for this week. God, I thank you for bringing me up to this place so that I could come and I could learn more about you. God, I recognize tonight that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus, thank you that you came, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. God, thank you that you didn't stay dead, but Jesus, that you rose from the dead, And now invite me into your life. I give you my life. I love you, Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. Okay, and Hume, here's what I want to ask of you. Here's what I want to ask of you, okay? In just a second, not right now, in just a second, if you said that prayer tonight with me for the very first time, again, not, not quite yet, But if you said that prayer for the very first time, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And here's why, okay? I know that might be scary, but here's why I'm asking you to do it. You have a lot of adults in this room 
that are teachers or parents or counselors or people that care about you that want to walk this out with you. And so if you said that prayer for the very first time, not that you've said it before in the past and you said it again tonight, but if you said it for the very first time, in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand for two reasons. Number one, we want to celebrate with you. We believe what the Bible says. It says when you surrender your life to Jesus, you go from eternal death, eternal separation from him, into eternal life, and you become one of his sons and daughters. And that's the coolest thing ever, and we want to celebrate that. Hey, number one, we want to celebrate with you. Number two, we want to keep you accountable. We want to walk this thing out with you. This doesn't just matter for this week at Hume. It matters as we go home. And as, as leaders and counselors that care about you, we want to follow up on this and go, hey, how's that going? We want to get you plugged in with a local church. And so again, if tonight for the very first time you said that prayer with me, the gospel clicked for the first time, and you gave your life to Jesus, I know this can be scary, but right now would you just go ahead and stand up to your feet? Awesome. Awesome. Counselors, hopefully you can see your students look around. Awesome. Okay, you guys can grab a seat. I want to talk to a second group of you really quick, okay? For those of you that didn't stand up, you're telling me one of two things. If you didn't stand up tonight, you're telling me one of two things. Number one, you've already made that decision in the past, right? Which, that's awesome. And you're sitting here going, no, I've, I've given my life to Jesus, and I'm, I'm now figuring this thing out. Like, this week at Hume is about me figuring out how to walk with him. Hey, or if you didn't stand, you're telling me, hey, I'm, I'm not ready for that yet. And if you're not ready for that yet, if you're still wrestling with this, friend, can I just encourage you for a second? You're in the coolest place to continue to wrestle. You're up on a mountain with people that care about you deeply. And the worst thing you can do is just go, eh, whatever. The best thing you can do is go to your counselor, go to your leader, go to one of the Hume staff and just go, hey, I heard what Austin said tonight, but I just still have some questions. I still have some doubts. I still have some fears. Know that you're in really good company. The disciples walked with Jesus, and they still didn't get it. It took them a long time to figure it out. And so if you're here and you didn't stand because you're still wrestling, friend, keep wrestling. Hey, but for those of you that that didn't stand up because you've already made that decision, let me talk to you for a second. The Bible uh, invites us who are followers of Jesus into this thing called repentance. And repentance, like, it looks like this. The word literally means to change your mind. So repentance looks like I'm walking one direction, I stop, I change my mind about the direction that I'm headed, I turn around and I walk the other way. That's what repentance looks like. And Jesus, when he kicked off his ministry, the very first thing he said was repent for my kingdom is near. Peter, in the book of Acts, when he kicks off his church ministry, the very first words he says are, repent, for my kingdom is near. And some of you sitting here who have made the decision to follow Jesus, if you're being honest, if you looked back over the last couple of weeks, or the last couple of months, or maybe even the last couple of years, you might sit here tonight and go, yes, I've made that decision before, but my life doesn't really look like it. And there's things in my life that I know need to change. There's patterns in my life. There's things that I'm doing that I know don't align with following Jesus. 
And friend, if you're in a spot tonight where you go, I want to change my mind about some of the things that are present in my life. I want to come back to following Jesus. I want to get realigned. I want to get back to doing day in and day out life with him. I'm going to ask you in just a second, not, not right now, just a second to stand up, and here's why, okay? Don't take this lightly. Don't stand because the person next to you is standing. Don't look at the three people next to you and go, like, should we all stand? I want, I want this to be a you decision, and here's why. If you stand up for a repentance stand, this isn't you, like, recommitting your life to Jesus. This is you standing saying something needs to change. Big or small. Something in my life needs to change because I want to get back on track with Jesus. And if you stand, I want you to stand for two reasons. Number one, me, the adults around you, the Hume staff, we want to celebrate with you. Because you're getting back on track for the thing that's going to lead you to life and life abundant. And number two, we want to keep you accountable. This whole repentance thing, the decision that you're about to make, I promise you it's going to be hard once you get back down the hill. And if you make a decision up here to go, here's the thing I'm going to stop doing, or here's the friend group that I need to walk away from, or here's the, whatever it is, whatever the decision is that you make up here, over the next month, I want your teacher to follow up with you and go, hey, do you remember that decision you made? I want your counselor, your friend, your parent, whoever it is that's here, the adult in this room that's with you, to be able to follow up with you and call you out and go, hey, I, I, I love you too much to let you stray from this. I want to walk with you. So Hume, friend, if you're in this room and you're a follower of Jesus and you know that something in your life needs to change, you want to get back on track, this is a bold ask, but I'm going to ask you to stand your feet right now. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, you guys can grab a seat. Hey, in, in just a second, um, my friend Jeb's going to come back up here. I just want to pray for you, over you really quick. And then I'm just going to challenge you. If you stood for either a first-time decision with Jesus tonight or a moment of repentance, don't go to bed tonight without having a conversation with your counselor and just going, hey, here's why I stood. Here's the decision I made tonight. And we just want to continue to follow up with you there. So let me just pray over you, and then we're going to be done. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the decisions that were made. God, I ask boldly that the, the seventh graders, eighth graders, fifth graders, sixth graders in this room that stood tonight, that this wouldn't just be a Hume decision. God, but this would be a bookmark in their life that they look back on and say, that is the week that I gave my life to Jesus. That's the week that I knew something needed to change. And that for the rest of our life, God, we would live our life marked by walking with you day in and day out. Thank you for loving us first. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Austin, brother. My friends, that is amazing, okay?